This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. On this episode, we have Lisa Canelli, Chief Marketing Officer at Fishbrain. Lisa, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Yes, hi. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. All right. It's mid-May 2021. If you would ask any app marketer a year ago what she or he will be doing this year, a year plus into the future, you would most likely hear something about incremental app growth techniques, trying new user acquisition channels, but in reality, we all know what we've been doing since early spring last year. We've been trying to adapt our businesses to the world going through the pandemic. Today, we have Lisa to tell us this story of Fishbrain and how the, its team has been dealing with the new app industry landscape. But let's talk about you, Lisa, first. Tell us about yourself. How did you get into this digital marketing world? Yeah, sure. So I'm from the U.S. originally. You can probably tell by my accent, but I have been living here in Stockholm, Sweden for the last little more than three years. When I came here to work for Fishbrain as the chief marketing officer, and previously I was in Berlin, Germany, and I was the director of marketing for Clue, which is a female health app there. So was really involved in that app scale-up journey. And then before that, I was in Canada working in a product marketing role at a digital agency. And then previously in Seattle, where I'm from, also working at a, a digital agency. So kind of have come up, sort of started off more on the agency side and then moved into the client side. And then way, way, way back, I started out my career as a journalist doing sports journalism, actually, for a newspaper, as old-fashioned oh. as that sounds. Yes. So always something in communications and marketing, but to have spent the last... Yeah, eight years or so in the digital in the digital space, really. Um, That's a pretty diverse career, I should say. You're not new to Europe. You've been living in Sweden, Germany. So I think by now you're more or less uh, better uh, equipped to know like the mentality of local folks when you're doing a marketing campaign. It's not like you're doing it from afar and sitting somewhere in states or Canada. You're uh, have a better sense of uh, what should work for local folks, right? It is true. Although actually what the last, the two companies that I have worked at, so Fishbrain and Clue, we have most of our uh, audiences in the United States. So I'm actually Howard Jordan Marketing because I know the US audience. But I mean, of course we do have, you know, outreach and marketing in those other countries in Europe and elsewhere. So I, I yeah, I, I can I can do that as well. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Actually, in June of the last year, we have uh, Ayad Barati from your team, and she did talk about the company a little bit. But uh, for the benefit of folks who haven't heard that episode, what is Fishbrain? Yeah. So Fishbrain is an app for fishing and fishing is actually the world's most popular hobby. So I always say to people, even if you personally are not into fishing, I bet you know somebody very close to you who is obsessed with fishing, right? Yeah. So a relative, a cousin, a friend. Everyone has someone in their in their close circle who is totally into fishing. So once you think about that, you realize how big uh, that market is. 
So Fishbrain's been around for about eight years now. It started out really as a social network for fishing. So sort of like Instagram for people who are interested in fishing, you could connect with people who shared the same uh, interest as you. And then increasingly over time, when people were sharing photos of the fish they caught and with that came the info of where they caught it, how big it was, what the weather was, we could start to use that data and turn that into information to help you go fishing. So we can say in this body of water, these are all the catches that have been logged here. And from that, we can tell you, here's the best time to fish. Here's the best bait to use. Here's the best weather for when you're fishing for that species. So we were able to take the social, turn that into utility. And then the last couple of years, we added in the e-commerce as well. So if you're going fishing, of course, you need to have a lot of fishing gear, right? Anyone who's into fishing will tell you they spend a lot of money on fishing gear. And we can also tell you, hey, this fish was caught here with this weather, this time of day, and this was the gear they used. Would you like to click one button and buy that gear as well? So that's uh, really, we want to build up that entire fishing uh, experience and fishing journey. So yeah, so that's where we're at with Fishbrain. And um, it's gone from being most, it still is primarily an app, but now we have a website as well. We have a marketplace to buy fishing gear. Let's see, we're up at almost a hundred people now on the team. And uh, what's been great about the last year is we used to be really be based all in Stockholm and now we're much more remote friendly and we have team members all over the place. So, so that's pretty exciting to see. Gal, you mentioned Instagram comparing your company with, and I should tell you, you guys are in a way better shape because for me, Instagram kind of morphed through a cozy kind of a home style a grocery store to a huge mall at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you guys, uh, from what I can see, still keep the spirit of community of folks and it doesn't just go through, you know, uh, 100% commerce and it's still based on emotions and relationships between people, right? Definitely. I mean, I think what's interesting is that something we have had to evolve in our marketing and our messaging is that actually people people don't necessarily go out and look for a social network or for a fishing social network, right? They look for a tool to help them go fishing. So they look for things like, what are the best places to fish? You know, where can I go fishing near me? Fishing with, fishing app. But when then they get there and they get into the experience, it's the social part that keeps them there, right? That's sort of the mm-hmm. retention driver is like, oh, I found other people like me. I'm going to share my photos. I'm going to connect with them. So it is quite interesting to kind of balance like that is really valuable within the product, but it's not necessarily what at the top of the funnel is going to bring people in. Right. I wonder what people were doing before the app, like you're, you guys provide, <laughs> what was their experience like uh They were just, you know, were limited by their friends. And basically you just provide them way better pool of information, which is terrific. I don't fish personally, but like I said, or like you've said, uh, I know a few folks who do. And uh, yeah, it's just like you said, it's, it's hardly possible to imagine that you don't know anybody who at least have an interest or, you know, at some point try to fish or have it as a hobby right now. All right, we're sitting in the mid-May of 2021. I think it's a good moment to take a look back at fish brain growth throughout 2020 and the first quarter of this year. How has been this right for you guys? This is what I want to ask you. So I guess we're one of the companies that I don't like to say we benefited from like COVID and lockdowns, but we weren't hurt by it as some companies right. were, right? So in a lot of places, fishing was one of the few activities you could do. Um, it was sort of naturally social distancing. It's very easy to do that. Um, most oh, yeah. places, the waters were still open, you know, a couple of places around the world, they shut down, but mostly it was something you could do. So, um, it wasn't just us, but, you know, in the fishing industry, 
people saw uh, in, uh, involvement in that, you know, participation numbers go up across the board in all interest of fishing. So, so we saw our numbers go up quite a bit. And then also it timed well, as I mentioned, we added e-commerce and, you know, e-commerce went up for everyone last year, right? All of a sudden mm-hmm. everyone had to buy stuff online. Yeah. And how convenient we had just launched our e-commerce <laughs> site. So um, that was really helpful for us. And also, especially um, a lot of the bigger retailers, Amazon and so forth, they they weren't able to ship fishing gear because they were prioritizing, you know, necessities mm-hmm. for quite mm-hmm. a long time. So right. we were one of the few places you could get fishing gear for quite a while. So that, that was quite interesting for us. And so we had some, some really nice numbers in the last year. And then, of course, in this year, the, the challenge is like, how do we retain those people and how do we bring them back? And what is it going to mean when now, you know, everything's opening up, especially in the U.S., which is our target market? You know, where's the competition there that wasn't there last year? That's what we're still really kind of navigating on both sides. You know, people do want to get outdoors and do stuff with people and people are still fishing. But I think we have more competition from like other activities than in the past. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a bit of a challenge uh, that we're still kind of trying to figure out and, and adapt to, I would say. So it's, it's, not like, it's not like you're losing some folks completely. I mean, it's if people have a passion for fishing and they definitely by now after a year could uh, saw the benefit of using the app, but they may just use the app less because they've got something else to do. Like finally, they've been waiting, you know, eagerly start doing anything except just sitting at home and luckily just to to have a a fishing experience. Right. Exactly. That is one thing we're trying to figure out, but potentially, yeah, that is part of it. So um, you mentioned the e-commerce and um, recently we have Jamie Davis from FitApp and uh, we were talking about the partnerships for that business which is in the digital digital fitness space. So how does partnerships work for Fishbrain? So if you're thinking about partnering with a specific company, what criteria to choose the one would come to your mind? Hmm. I mean, it definitely depends on what kind of partnership it is, right? We, we have all kinds of partnerships. I mean, we have partnerships that are, you know, integrating certain types of maps into the app, like mm-hmm. depth maps from, you know, providers who have those for from people who go out on their boats and they have all this data about, you know, how deep is the water? We integrate right. that and that's like a tech partnership. You know, we have the brand partnerships, right? Which is for getting brands. So we, we actually run a marketplace model, right? So we work with the brands and they, you know, sell their products on our shop. And so those are some partnerships we have. We have partnerships with uh, universities and researchers who are really interested in the data mm. that we have, right? They want to look at like patterns of how many fish are being caught, where, how does that change over time? So that's really interesting to work with those sort of researcher partners to actually, you know, do studies on the on the data. Anonymous, of course, it's all about just the fish. They don't want to know about people, just the fish. Right, right, um, got it. And then we, you know, we're also looking at like awareness partnerships now more and more this year. We're really going into the brand awareness space and looking at what partnerships we can do to sort of just that are less like, you know, acquisition or performance driven and more about, you know, getting our brand next to really other prominent brands in the fishing space, especially as there's maybe more competition coming up in fishing apps. You know, we want to be seen as like the top dog, like we are the definitive one in the space. If you think about a fishing app, you think about us. Uh, so partnerships that solidify our position there, that's something else we look at. So really interesting. You've mentioned that you're uh, providing some data for uh, science research, scientific research, because I was thinking like you should have a huge chunk of data that is uh, should be helpful for science to do a research because it's kind of a uh, citizen science. You can participate in something, you know, just like a uh, the extra benefit of what, what you're doing. And uh, obviously it's anonymous. I mean, I'm sure fish 
don't mind to have their own personal data being shared with somebody else, but people obviously do. I get it. Now, let's talk about the marketing you guys have been doing for uh, the app. Um, so what has been working for you throughout this period? Because we're talking about more than a year. When we were talking with uh, Ayat last year, it, it was kind of a shorter experience, just a few months. Now it's more than a year. Probably have a different um, you know, experience and more to say about which channels have been working for you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, we definitely still rely quite heavily on Google and Facebook. Like those are the big ones. And then, you know, Instagram is part of Facebook, of course. So those still drive a ton for us. And, you know, we've been doing, we do influencer marketing, you know, as part of one of our channels, I wouldn't say it's like a major one, but it's still absolutely something that is important for us. We've added in definitely more affiliates than we had before. We started to do a bit more sort of native advertising. That's another one. I mean, we're, we're really like, we have sort of our core ones and then we're starting to add more things. So specifically, like I mentioned on the brand awareness side, that's something that we're now starting to add this year and do a bit more like radio and podcasts and even a little out of home, you know, trying to get the brand awareness up. So then we do have lower acquisition costs, you know, further down the funnel. So yeah, I mean, we kind of have sort of the core standbys and then we're always sort of testing new things and seeing what can what can work better for us this time. I didn't know that influencer marketing actually related to fishing. I thought it's all about, you know, makeup and clothing. There, there are influencers that are into fishing oh, yeah. out there. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, like, and then of course on Fish Brain, right? Because we are a social network ourselves. So we have some people who have huge followings. Um, but yeah, there's there's a whole fishing <laughs> fishing influencer space out there. Awesome. Um, well, I think it's uh, at this point, it's impossible to have a conversation about that marketing and not to mention TikTok. So do you guys use TikTok ads to introduce people to the world of fish brain? We do not actively, no. I think we may have done a bit of testing on it. Mm -hmm. But the thing is the actual... The profile of like the average TikTok user is a bit younger than sort of our target customer, especially in terms of willingness to spend. So we haven't really cracked it to make it sort of, you know, the customer acquisition cost worth it. Um, we also were looking at like, should we do it less on a paid side and more on a pure social side? Should we build that out? Because uh, fishing is quite big on TikTok, actually. Fish talk. Do you want to call it that? It's, there are a lot of fishing fishing content there. Mm -hmm. um, so far, we just haven't been able to have the resources because we just don't see quite enough. Again, the matchup with our audience is not quite there uh, or with at least the audience is going to spend money. Like our audience on Fishburne, we do have plenty of young users, but they're not really the revenue drivers for us. Right. This is what I was thinking. Uh, like uh, if, if I'm like um bringing bringing up to my memory folks i know who are into fishing all of all of those guys are over 45 mm -hmm. so yeah probably tiktok wouldn't be like a best fit to drive these people not just their attention but you know actually spend something on the um the commerce side of your business yeah, um, we also so have a subscription model right so it's also you know we do have the, the pro the premium which is really what we're driving our fish brain pro offer what is all about Oh, yes. So the app is free, of course. And there's a whole, you know, free, you can use it for free. All the social stuff is free. Mm -hmm. But if you do want the some more advanced sort of utility features, like the prediction saying what the forecast is going to be, what's the best mm -hmm. bait to use, all that stuff that's really based on the data, that's what's part mm -hmm. of the pro offer, as well as other things. And we're always trying to add to our pro offer to make it more valuable. I mean, we look at like, as an example, we look at Strava a lot, you know, they really put a lot of their content behind the paywall recently. And we really are inspired by that, <laughs> trying to add more value there. So yeah, so that's another area of focus for us is just like, how can we make our, our pro offer super, super uh, valuable to people? Great. Probably, you know, 
you can provide some takeaways from your, you know, going through a pandemic experience for other businesses, something that you know, kind of a holistic view on what you're doing in your business, something can be, which can be applicable to other um, if, uh, verticals. Sure. I mean, I think, I think to me, it may be less on the business side and more on the sort of like company people management side, but that's absolutely been the bigger challenge. Like, um, you know, I manage a pretty big team and we've hired a lot in the last year, but I've hired people who have never met in person. And that's been quite a challenge. You know, how do you onboard people? How do you connect them with other people on the team? <laughs> you know, how do you build a connection with them? I think that's oh, been yeah. something that, um, you know, I, I would say like takes up more time than you expect and takes up more energy than you expect. And so like more of my day, if I'm, you know, doing strategy and I'm doing people management, I'm doing a little operations, you know, like the slice of the pie that goes into the people management side is much bigger than I, than it was a year ago. Yeah. I think it's, it was a revelation that we took it for granted, like uh, part of the, you know, when you're bringing somebody on your team and this uh, uh, communication, chit chat with other people, this uh, social interaction, it was just, you know, granted, we, we couldn't imagine that at some point we would have to, get new people on your team only online, like uh, from the day one. And uh, we actually don't really know what at some point can we bring these people in a, into a physical space or we will be just working remotely for you. So you're saying about hiring somebody there, you know, living in another country, other city, just to become part of your team, right? Yeah, I mean, and some of them like, Maybe they even are local, but like because of restrictions or whatever, we haven't yeah, had a chance still... person yet, you know, and it's both. It's definitely in kind of both both parts. Um, so that's, yeah, that's I... and then also just keeping people's spirits up, keeping people motivated, you know, even if stuff business-wise is maybe going well, if it's like, you know, here in Sweden, it's pretty dark in the winter, you're in the third, third month of no sunshine and things are looking bleak. Like, how do you keep people motivated? How do you see when like they need a break? You know, how do you balance that and like, find ways to keep them engaged that that takes a lot of effort i would say yeah i totally get it like uh you know in a real world you can just you know seeing somebody without asking him you can you know take his mood by his behavior and see like probably he need a break or uh, just you know he's boring he's bored with something but it's really hard to do like without you know breaking somebody's privacy to do remotely it's mm -hmm. definitely a challenge all right. I think we've covered the major topic on the table right now. And uh, as always on this show, I have a few questions I'm asking my every guest to help the audience to know him or her better. So okay. here they are. What smartphone do you use? Are you iOS or Android person? Have you been switching or staying completely like all time mm -hmm. on one side? I have been almost always iOS, but I did dabble in Android for a year or so a while ago. <laughs> Oh, was it? Why did you get back? I mean, I thought I would give Android a shot, and it was sort of cheaper at the time. And but I don't know. I just uh, <laughs> I went back to iOS. <laughs> well, that's a smart move. Now you know for sure that that wasn't just you know prejudices and bias for you to stay in iOS all the time. So you you tried Android setting and went back. But it's just a matter of a personal preference. As I, like as I've heard from many folks on this uh, show, it's just a matter of what whichever works better for you. Okay, but do you remember your first mobile phone? Yeah, I mean, it was, I don't remember what brand, I want to say Motorola probably, you know, and it was like really, it was, like a real, was it the Razor? I had a Razor at one point, but I don't think that was the first one. I think I had something before that. Yeah, it was super heavy and very basic. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, long time ago. Probably back in, let me think what year this would have been, 2000 maybe or so? Yeah, I think by now we would be able mm-hmm. to sell the, that thing on a Sotheby, uh, I think, for a good chunk of money. You know, probably not now in a few years if it's still uh, operational. Okay, imagine you've left your home um, and you, for whatever reason, you left your smartphone sitting at your desk. What would be the most missing feature for you? That's a great question. Yeah, probably the camera. Because when I'm out and about, if I'm with my kids, I'm usually trying to take pictures of them. Mm. So <laughs> that's probably what I miss the most. Gotcha. Are there any app technologies uh, you're most excited about? Like you're looking at your device and thinking, wouldn't it be great if this, that thing could do this or that feature, uh, that new thing for you and uh, not gimmicks, something uh, useful? could be hardware, software, or could be vice versa. Probably you're looking at your phone thinking, wouldn't it be great that I would be using less the thing to occupy <laughs> less space in my life? <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's a great one. I'm not sure about how to answer that one. Yeah, I honestly like would like to make be less reliant on my phone, especially for like ways to entertain my children. Cause right now it's like my phone controls all the Spotify usually, and they're always like, turn on kid music. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just go back to CDs or tapes and you can do it yourself. Right, right. I, I, I totally get it. Like uh it's it's just like for me, it's a bit of a complicated you. As great as this thing is, you still want to have, you know, the relationship with the thing, like with a hammer, scissors, uh, any tool you have uh, in your disposal and use it look at some specific moment for some specific task and then just, you know, put it away. Um, it's just basically we're talking about obsession with a thing, like how much attention is this thing is grabbing. So, yeah, you know, better, uh, better battery, you know, better screen, probably lighter. But on top of that, yeah, I would agree with you. If, it, if that was just, um, you would need to check your, you know, weekly stats and see how many hours have killed them this thing on this week. Was it less? Was it more? You know, like on, you know, Sunday morning, you're seeing, gosh, I've got it like eight, I use it eight or 10% more last week. What, what, what I was doing last week? Why? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I see what you mean. Um, all right. That was my last question to you. But before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you and know more about what you do? Sure. Probably LinkedIn is the best way to find me. I'm sort of off most social media these days. Um, or of course, Fishbrain. You know, you can download the app and check it out. But uh, look for me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. And you can reach out there if you want to get in touch. Great. Thank you for coming on our podcast. And thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Thank you, Lisa. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Lisa Canelli, Chief Marketing Officer at Fishbrain. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.